We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Matthew 13, we're going through the parables of Jesus, not all of them, uh, but some of them, ones that I and uh, ministry staff picked. And we're starting in Matthew 13, and what I'm going to do is as we begin, I'm going to read a passage. You don't have to turn there. Isaiah uh, chapter 55, Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11 says this, by way of introduction. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return there, but water the earth. For as, what do we have going on? As, like or as is a, a metaphor, right? Did I get it right or is it simile? I always get them confused. It's a simile because they're similar. I see what you did there, okay? For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to the earth, so we have a figure of speech going on, it's, it makes it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Verse 11, so, so what are we illustrating with the rain and the seed? So, my word, my word be, the, the word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it'll accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Many of us have heard that verse. Maybe not even the whole verse, just that sentence. My, the word will not return void. And it's one of the ways we encourage each other to remember that the ministry of the word, when we share it with others or as a function of the body of Christ, it always bears uh, fruit according to the purpose of God. But it actually bears understanding as we move into the parable of the sower. This uh, he's illustrating his point with the rain and the seed. He says, look, just like the rain comes down and the seeds uh, hit the ground, they don't return until they bear a fruit. So it is with my word. And he says, the word uh, will not return empty. It will accomplish that which I purpose. So here's the principle we need to understand about the word of God. It always bears fruit. It always accomplishes God's purpose. So there's a principle you need to file away in the back of your mind. The ministry of the word always bears fruit, always accomplishes God's purpose. And here's what we need to understand as we move over to Matthew 13 in the parable, is our hearts, our hearts, meaning the disposition of our, of our will and our attitude and our bent toward or away from God, plays a part in the ministry of that word in our hearts. So the ministry of the word is occurring in our hearts, and our hearts as those made in the image of the God in the image of God and having a will and a decision-making faculty, we play a role in the cultivating of that soil of our heart. So the ministry of the word is going to do something in our hearts, and we play a part in what it does. 
And whatever it does, it accomplishes the purpose that God sets out to do. So the ministry of the word does something in our heart. What's it do? It accomplishes God's purpose. It bears fruit. The question is, how does it do that? How does the word work? How does the word work in our heart? How does the word work in terms of accomplishing God's purpose for us? So we want to answer those two questions. What should I expect from the ministry of the word? And what does it mean I should do? If the word is going to accomplish its purpose in my heart, and if I have a role to play in that fruit that's being born, what should I expect from the word of God? And what should I do? So how the word works. First thing, look at verses one through nine. Pat read them for us. We're going to look at two sections. One section Pat read for us, and the other section beginning in verse 18 is Jesus' explanation of the parable. Thankfully, this is one of those parables Jesus explains for us, so we don't have to wonder uh, what it means. So, beginning in verse 13, Jesus uh, went out of the house, he sat down by the sea, and a huge crowd gathered around him, and so he got into a boat, kind of put it out into the water a little bit, so that he could speak to the whole crowd, and everybody could hear him uh, pretty well, and he started talking to them in parables. Why did Jesus talk to them in parables? The way we use stories when somebody is either writing a book or an article or giving a speech or giving a sermon, the way we use stories, the way we use illustrations is we'll, we'll give an idea. We'll give an idea. Here's an idea. Marshawn Lynch was a good running back, right? And we all agree. Okay, if you disagree, I don't know what to say about it. Okay, Marshawn Lynch is a good running back. Okay, so I've made, I've given you an idea. So how can I illustrate the idea? Marshawn Lynch is like a freight train. Okay, so now I've said something that elicits a a response in you, and you get this picture of a freight train driving through a defensive lineman, right? And so it it illuminates, gives you a little better idea of what I'm trying to say. And it opens your eyes. Okay, now I see what you're saying. He's like a freight train. Okay. I thought you were just saying he's a good running back, but he isn't. He's also a freight train. That's incredible. Sermon's over. So is that what Jesus is doing with his parables? No, that's not what he's doing in this parable. Look down, a little bit further down, uh, verse 10. The disciples came to him and said, why do you speak in parables? So, if Jesus was trying to make his points clear, would they ask that question? No, what they're trying to do is they're asking a question, and what they're doing is they are providing the creator of the universe feedback on his communication skills. So this is real passive-aggressive. So why do you use parables, also known as parables are lame, Jesus. Nobody has a clue what you're saying, dude. Seriously, nobody understands anything you're saying. The parables, in fact, according to Jesus, that's precisely what they're meant to do. Look at verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. Thank you for asking, guys. Because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand... Indeed, the prophecy is made true. They will never hear. So Jesus is speaking in parables for the same reason we need to understand how the word works. He speaks in parables for this reason. Those who want to seek to know the Lord, their eyes will be open to what he's saying. Those who have no interest in knowing the Lord, they will never understand what he is saying. And so he's teaching in parables not to make his point clear, but in fact, in many ways, to hide his point from people who don't want to know the Lord. And so he's teaching them in parables. And in fact, he's making the point in parables that he's also making with the parable we're looking at today. His point is this. 
the word is going to go forth and what it does has a lot to do with the cultivation of our own heart. Okay, back to the parable. So he's in a boat and he's telling this parable and a sower is going out and he went out to sow. And back then broadcast seeding is what was normally done. What you and I will generally do is, is we'll plant uh, a plant. In fact, what we do is, unless you're a really serious gardener and you're growing from seed and maybe a greenhouse, many of us are going to go down and buy a plant that's already got tomatoes on it. I want to eat tomatoes next week. So I'm going to buy a fully grown plant, plant it and say, I am a great gardener. And uh, so, he, but back then they broadcast seeding and they would just toss it out uh, into the various thing. And so the sower went out to sow his seed. Question, why is this guy sowing seed? Exercise? No. Um, because his parents told him to. No. Because that's what good religious people do is they sow seed. No. And none of these things. Why does a person sow seed? Because they want to harvest something at some point. That's the only reason you sow seed. At some point, I want to eat this. I want to sow seed and have growing grow or tomatoes grow or cucumbers, whatever you're into. I want seeds to go in and food to come out and get in my belly. That's what I want to have happen. He, as the seed is going down, he's thinking to harvest maybe sometime in October. I can't wait till that. We're going to have fresh bread, not some of this old nasty grain we're eating right now because it's all been sitting in the the granary for so long. We're going to have fresh grain and we're going to have fresh bread. And he's thinking of the harvest as he's sowing. So we need to pay attention to this. The word works with harvest in mind. Okay, so he sows it and he illustrates his point through the parable with four different ways the seed and the soil work together. So the first one fell along the path and the birds came and ate it. Very typical, seeds land on the path and the birds know, and they can pick it right off the ground, they just eat it up. All right, some other seed fell among rocky ground. What this ground is, is some soil that is on a very, uh, is very shallow and like a hard pan. It's not merely full of rocks, but it might be that. But towards the edge of the field where it's not fully tilled under uh, or on a place where there might be a hard pan or some rock, there's soil, but it's just sort of covering the, the hard ground. And the, the seed lands there, and it does in fact grow because there's some good soil there, but as soon as the, way, the rain sort of dries out, and as soon as the sun really hits it, because the roots don't have anywhere to go, the plants uh, instantly and immediately shrivel up uh, and die. Other seed fell among the thorns uh, and, and among the weeds, and of course Roundup wasn't invented and there was no crossbow. Uh, so they couldn't uh, deal with the weeds that way. So it fell among the thorns and the weeds, and uh, there was competition in the soil for the nutrients and for the sunlight, and so ultimately the thorns uh, won out. And then finally, verse 8 is really the, the payoff for the farmer. Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. That's a nice way of saying, you don't understand what I'm saying, I don't care. You understand what I'm saying? Good for you. And you think I'm being, this is how Jesus rolled. This is an aside because some of you think I'm kidding. Every now and then the crowds would get too big and he'd say stuff like that. You know what? The crowds are getting too big. In order to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then all of a sudden it kind of thins out a little bit. Okay, so Jesus wasn't playing. You don't want to know him? You're not going to know the, the meaning of the parable. In fact, he only explains the parable to his disciples after they ask for an explanation. So what is the aim of the sower? Let's keep this in mind. What's the aim of the sower? Harvest. Fruitfulness. 
But also we see quite clearly in the parable, even though the aim of the sower is a harvest, is fruitfulness of his crop, there are a lot of obstacles to fruitfulness of that crop. There are a lot of obstacles that we see uh, to the fruitfulness of the crop. So like we say, when we're planting a garden, we aren't merely gardening because we like to see stuff grow, although there's some enjoyment of that. We're not, because you still have to go out every day and you have to pick up the weeds and you have to water it and you have to feed it and you have to see if bugs are eating the leaves and it turns out gardens are kind of high maintenance. So the issue is why are we growing this stuff? Because we want to eat it. We want fruitfulness to occur. We want a harvest to occur. So the key to what we need to understand about how does the word work? What's the point of the word of God in the soil? Verse 8 is this, to produce Grain to produce fruitfulness, and the, and the conditions must be right in the soil for a harvest uh, to occur. And of course, we see all the obstacles that occur. We got birds eating. Uh, we got birds eating the seed. We got shallow soil, and uh, we have uh, short roots. We have thorns competing for the nutrients, and, and finally, we have fruitfulness. So let's end uh, this section because we really want to spend the bulk of our time on the explanation. But before we get to the explanation, I just have uh, one or two uh, questions about this. We're thinking about how does the word work? And the main thing from at least this parable we want to understand, the goal of the word in our hearts is what? A harvest, fruitfulness. Okay. So we have to ask ourselves this question. What is your goal for the ministry of the word in your heart? So we understand what the, the, minute, the goal of the ministry of the word is according to Jesus, but we have to be honest, at least assessing our own hearts. Well, what is my aim for the ministry of the word in my heart? So just a couple of ideas to throw out, and you can rattle these around to see if these connect with you at all. Some of us just want the ministry of the word in our hearts so we can get to heaven. What we want to do is, okay, what's the bare minimum I need to know, believe, and do in order to punch my ticket to get into glory? And from here until heaven, that's my time. God, you can have me for eternity. I get now. And what we need to understand, if our aim is merely heaven, that's not primarily the purpose of the Word of God. The primary purpose of the Word in our hearts, the soil of our hearts, is not merely to get us to heaven, although faith in the gospel of Christ does get us to heaven. It's to bear fruit from our lives. It's not only just to punch a ticket to glory, it's to have a, a harvest in our lives. Okay, a couple of other things we might do or think are aims or goals of the Word in our heart. Uh, I hear this a lot. I want the Word of God to bless me. I read the Word of God and it's a blessing. Now, is the Word of God a blessing? Yes. If you've had a particular bad, particularly bad week with sin, I know it's none of you, and then you read Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sometimes, not, certainly not you guys, I know. Sometimes reading that verse is all we need just to make it through another five minutes. Okay, so I'm okay, God. I was worried that maybe I was on the outs. But I read Romans 8, 1, and I'm reminded again, and it's a blessing, God, to be reminded again, there is how much condemnation for those who are in Christ? There is none. Zero. Zilch. Not it. That's a blessing. And so what we can tend to do is, therefore, the goal of the Word of God in my life is to bless me. And every now and then I get up and I crack open my Bible and I read it, and I don't feel blessed. In fact, I feel bored or annoyed that I open my Bible, and today's Bible reading was in First Chronicles, and First Chronicles is 97% lists of names, and they're really hard to pronounce. 
Shobab is in there. I'll just let you know. Shobab is in there. I don't know who Shobab is, but I read it this week. And so we read it and we say, well, this had nothing to, this didn't bless me. So therefore, this was a waste of time. But is the aim of the word of God to bless me, to leave me inspired today, to give me enough spiritual gumption to make it through this afternoon? It does do that, but that's not the aim. What's the aim? I'm going to keep saying it until you say it. Harvest, fruitfulness in our lives. That's the aim. That's the goal of the word of God. Uh, Two more things. And you're hoping that I'll just move on. Not going to do it. Uh, Another reason we read the Bible is to be reminded that we're right about everything. Every now and then, you and I will get frustrated and we'll say, you know what? I just can't figure out why the world around me does not understand how right I am. If they would just come to me and understand the wisdom that is my brilliance. And so then we go and read the Bible and we say, I knew I was right. I knew it. Even God says I'm right. And so we read the Bible to confirm once again our preconceived notions are right. As it turns out, if you have an agenda, you can make the Bible say it. All you have to do is read church history for like five minutes. Wars have been fought. People have been murdered. Christians have been martyred because somebody had an agenda and they scrounged their way through the Bible, found two and a half verses to convince them that they were right. So if you want to read the Bible to confirm you're already right, you will do it almost every time. And that is not the aim of the Bible. The word of God in our heart is not here to confirm that our preconceived notions were in fact right. What is the aim of the word in our hearts? Harvest. There we go. We're in. Thank you. Ben, you can go now. You're done. No, I'm I'm kidding. Please stay. The goal of the word of God is harvest. All right. So how the word works, it is to bear fruit. So let's look at um, how this works. Look down at verse 18. You have to look down in your Bible a little further to verse 18. The Jesus explains the parable. So I'm going to read verses 18 through verse 23. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. All right. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful verse 23 as for what was sown on good soil this is the one who hears the word and understands it he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold in another case 60 and in another case 30 so Jesus goes through here and explains to us what he was meaning by the obstacles to fruitfulness in the various places the seed uh, is sown. So let's just look at each of them in turn just uh, very briefly and uh, so we can hopefully understand his explanation. Number one thing we need to understand is where is the soil according to Jesus' explanation? It is the heart. Look at the end of verse 19. 
in the first explanation, he says, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown where? In the heart. So right here at the beginning of his explanation, he lets us know where the soil is. His, the soil is an illustration of our heart. And the heart is that place in us which is the seat of our emotions as well as our motivations and our decision making. So what he's saying is the seed is going into the soil of your, of your heart and interacting with your motivations and with your preconceived notions and with what you believe is true about God. And the condition of that heart is what parallels with what he is describing in terms of soil that has uh, seed in it. And so what we might say is this, the heart response to the word of God is that which uh, leads to the fruitfulness of the word of God. So it's the word of God sown, but it's also our response to the word of God, which is going to participate with God's word in seeing fruitfulness. So in the heart, we respond, and the condition of our heart determines what that response generates. So, verse 19, when anyone hears the kingdom of God and does not understand it. Okay, in uh, verse 18, as well as to the end of the, the uh, section here, the, the word understand occurs twice. He's using that word because earlier, we don't have time to get into it, but if you look up like five or six verses, there's a long quote from Isaiah chapter 6. And in Isaiah chapter 6, he uses that word understand. But we need to, we need to understand. Um, he's not meaning merely understand. Understand, yes, as in comprehend the facts, but also in this is built in a sense of understand and accept. Understand and accept it as a, a proper description of reality. So in, in Matthew 18, he's, he's borrowing from Isaiah to say understand, but he wants us to also understand. It's not merely understood it, but understood it and accepted it. So a person who does not understand, meaning doesn't accept the word, the evil one comes and takes it away. So this is a person who hears the word of God and says, yeah, I don't buy it. That's not true. I don't buy that. And there's lots and lots of people. In fact, the biblical understanding is probably most people would be in that category. Hear the word of God, I don't buy it. I don't need a savior, I'm not that bad. Okay, so the first person is a person who hears the word of God and says, no, thank you. That's the that's a illustration of the person on the path. Okay, the rocky ground, what is this person like? So this is a person who receives the word of God and receives it with joy. So this is, uh, again, all the people from the second service, not the first service, this is all the people, who, and again, none of us, who might have significant sin histories. We've done some stuff that if people knew about it, it would make the news, right? And, and we don't talk about it. We don't talk about those times in our life. We hope nobody asks us what happened between 19 whatever and whatever. Those are the, the disappearing years. You come up with stories. Oh, I was, I was in the military. I'm sworn to secrecy. I'm not allowed to tell anybody. I could tell you, but then, of course, I'd have to kill you. So, so that gets you out of telling all those stories that you're ashamed of and you, you regret and those decisions you made, right? We all have those things. So then you hear the word of God, Romans 8.1. What is it? There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are Christ Jesus. So, well, that's just amazing. All that stuff I have regret over and shame over and I feel bad over, I don't have to worry about it because there's no condemnation. God doesn't hold it against me. He loves me just as much as that religious guy. That's funny. It's too bad for that guy. And then hard stuff happens. So he receives the word. I love it because I receive forgiveness and grace. 
And then I get COVID-19. And then I lose my job. My spouse gets sick. I pray at work and my boss demotes me because he doesn't want religious freaks. And he wants, he's hoping I'm going to quit. And I'll say, well, no, whoa, 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 whoa. The word is not paying off. I thought you believe and it pays off. So then once the hard stuff hits, it's done, no, eject. I'm done. You can have the word. I just needed to make myself feel better. I'm not really looking to engage with the difficulties the realities of following Christ might actually involve. And that's what happens to these folks. They see some of the blessings and the joys of the Word of God and the Gospel, but when it comes to actually following Christ through the narrow gate, down the narrow path, where it's difficult and there's suffering and there's tribulation and persecution, uh, no thank you. And this is like the seed that is planted in that shallow soil and it just goes away. All right? Okay, then we have seed sown among thorns. This is the person who receives it, but their heart, the condition of their heart, has divided loyalties. There is a sense of, I want to be faithful to God and His Word, but at the same time, you know, life goes on. i got to keep a job. And, and you know what? If I want to take a halfway decent vacation this year, i got to put in some extra time. And, and, and I've got some responsibilities. i got people to take care of. i got people that depend on me. And not only that, I'm going to work all this, all this hours, and I'm going to put all this uh, effort in. Well, I should get something out of it. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, with paying off a little bit. And what's happening here is the divided loyalties is the word has come in, but we've reserved a bunch of spots in our heart for the cares of this world and for the, what he says is the deceitfulness of riches. What's the deceitfulness of riches? The deceitfulness of riches is this. There isn't a problem enough money can't solve. How many of your problems go away if you have more money? I know you're in church. You say, oh, none of them. It's Jesus. Knock it off. How many of you say, you know what? If I had X dollars, my problems go away. Man, you got that. You know, most of us have that number to the, to the penny. I got the number right here, and my life is better. And, and what he's saying here is, you know, focus. That's, that's deception. It doesn't. It might for a little bit, it might for a moment, but then something else is coming, okay? And so what he's saying is the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of the, the responsibility of this life crowd out the ministry of the word and it bears no fruit. And then finally we have the last illustration. What was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and what? Understands and accepts it. Says, this word is the source of my life. This word is the place where my life can find fruitfulness and significance. He indeed bears fruit. And what's the aim of the sower? A harvest. The aim of the sower who has put the the seed in the heart is a harvest. He indeed bears fruit and it it yields a a robust harvest. And and of course there's varied harvest depending on the nature of things. What's the difference between all of these heart conditions? And it's just simply this. The environment that the seed was planted into. The condition of the soil, our heart response to the Word of God. And if I could sum up the, the, the response of the good soil this way, it might be simply this. To take God at His Word and believe Him. And pattern our life after what He says is uh, true. Okay, a couple of quick observations. Number one, somebody is saying, well, are the other three soils saved? 
Are you asking that question in your head? If you're not, I feel bad for bringing it up because now it's going to bother you. Wrong question. Because he's not concerned about answering that question. He's not illustrating a deep uh, theological, uh, comprehensive theological statement on the condition of the saved soul. What he is trying to help us understand is how the word operates in our heart. He's not trying to say, here's what three unsaved people look like and here's what a saved person look like. He's saying, pay attention to how the word functions under these varying conditions. So you can claim Christ as your Lord and Savior as I hope most of us have, and you can see what happens to the ministry of the word when the cares of the world and deceitful initiative riches is functioning, right? Can we see that? Doesn't this happen to all of us? Yeah. We can see what happens when trouble comes. All of a sudden we start to get scorched. We see that. And so what he's trying to illustrate is what happens in the human heart when we allow these obstacles to fruitfulness charge in. So let's look at a couple things. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. I don't think it's going to be on the screen. If it is, it's a miracle. Because I don't think I told anybody to put it up there. All right, Galatians 5, 22. You're familiar with this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So specifically, if a harvest is seeking to be generated in our hearts through the ministry of the Word, it wouldn't be too bad to say this. That harvest is Galatians 5, 22. The fruit of this harvest should be love. I should be experiencing God's love through His Word to such a degree that I can extend that love to others around me. If you were with us last week, that also means your enemies and people you don't like very well. It also means I should have joy in my heart. It doesn't mean I walk around with a big smile on my face. It means the rootedness of my I'm okayness is connected to Christ, not is my life good. That's joy. Joy is saying I have a settled sense of peace because Jesus has made a way for me to have salvation. The fruit of the Spirit is patience and kindness. Patience and kindness. Let me give the guys a break. It's on Father's Day. But guys, that one's for you. If you've got a wife and kids, having those two fruits of the Spirit probably aren't a bad deal, are they? How many people would say their ability to father and be a husband would increase astronomically if they could just have patience and kindness yeah nobody here we're talking about second service we're fine we're good but this is a harvest patience and kindness how about goodness and faithfulness what's faithfulness the ability to stick in there when everybody else bailed faithfulness gentleness and self-control a fruit of the spirit a fruit of the word harvest in my heart and your heart is self-control what's self-control The ability to say no to myself for things I want, I know are wrong. The ability to say, yes, I ought to and must do that even though I don't want to and it's inconvenient or it's costly. That's self-control. The ability not to be concerned, to be controlled by the whims of my inner person, but instead to be controlled by my decision-making faculties connected to the will of God. I'm not dictated, my decisions aren't dictated by what do I want in the next five minutes. It's dictated by what does God want to do for all of eternity. So here's the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When the Word of God is finding good purchase in soil cultivated in our hearts, we're going to see those fruits explode. Last place, John chapter 15. And then we're going to conclude. 
Jesus says this in John 15, verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What Jesus is calling us to do here is understand that a, a primary function of the cultivation of the soul of our hearts is abiding in Christ, remaining in Him. So what is abiding? Abiding in Christ is merely soil prep of our hearts. And what is the soil prep of our hearts? This isn't exciting, but I'm going to keep beating it until we, till we get it. Are you ready? Prayer? It's not complicated, is it? We just have to do it, just have to pray. Just every day, seek the Lord. You're not sure how to pray? Just start, see what happens. Not a bad idea, have a prayer list. Throw that on your dashboard, however you like to do it. Prayer. Be in the scripture. Kind of hard to have the seed of the word of God find its purchase in our hearts if we never read the word. Got to open the Bible and read it. It means we have to say no to sin. It means temptations that we know or we are going to face. We need to decide in advance how we're going to approach those. We need to do the things necessary to provide for ourselves the spiritual strength and physical strength to say no to sin. Seek the Lord in prayer. Seek Him in His Word. Seek accountability with brothers and sisters in the Lord. A couple of other good tips for overcoming sin. You ready? Here's some stuff. Get some sleep. Maybe exercise a little. Mix in a workout. It, you can actually turn the TV off and not die. If you know you're going to be bored later, figure out what you're going to do before that time comes. Because so many things happen when we're bored. So you say, I got nothing going on this afternoon, and everybody's leaving the house. Uh, I'd figure out something to do. Go golfing. Do something. Say, well, I don't golf. It'd be better to go and golf than what you're going to do home alone. Okay, but I'll move on. You guys are getting uncomfortable. So a soil prep is worship in my life. It's prayer. It's the word. It's seeking the Lord day in and day out at work, at home, in my community, in my family, at church. It's convulting and cultivating moment by moment, not Sunday morning by Sunday morning, cultivating moment by moment an environment in my heart to respond to the word of God with faith. So what should I expect? What should I expect from the word of God to do its work in my heart? Look at the parable. What should I expect? Satan will try to steal it. You will face suffering. You will face hardship. You will be weighed down and distracted with the cares of this world and financial pressures and financial joys. That's what you should expect. That's what's coming. And since we know what's coming, in advance we can say, well, what can I do to cultivate a, wor- uh, uh, cultivate a heart that's ready to worship without and, and by overcoming these obstacles? So what should I do? I should worship the Lord day in and day out with my time. Prepare the soil of my heart. Just not just on Sunday morning, but I get up in the morning and say, my heart's not ready today. It is hard pan heart. What am I going to do by faith to have the Lord prepare the heart of the soil of my heart to receive the word of God? The word of God does not receive return void, so we need to understand this. The word of God is either going to bear fruit or it is going to convict or judge. The word of God is either going to be bearing fruit in my heart or it's going to reveal the motives of my heart miss the boat. How does the word work? We cultivate the soil of our heart by worship, and we bear fruit by His grace.